And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. There is all sorts of emotion going on in our gospel passage this morning, in this Easter acclamation that we hear from the gospel of Mark. And I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I'm not the most comfortable person in the world with emotions, all right? Now, I mean, you know, I'm a pastor, I'm a priest. I'm fine with your emotions. I'm fine when you have spiritual crisis or physical crisis or, and I can enter into the pain of your lives and that's okay because it's not personally involving me. But say, for instance, when I'm, oh, I don't know, preparing to marry off a daughter or which I'm doing in two weeks if you don't know me, uh, or if I'm facing some of the emotional people in my house, I won't say who they are, but uh, you don't know this, but Jake's a very emotional guy. But uh, I'm not the most comfortable person with emotions, and there are all sorts of emotions rolling around this, this gospel narrative, this Easter narrative. This is the most bizarre of all the gospel accounts of the resurrection, isn't it? I mean, it's just so... Weird. They're trembling and amazed. They're afraid and astonished. They're fearful and excited. And I'm not the most comfortable with public displays of affection either. The way the narrative begins is uh, with, with these three women going to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, the dead body of Jesus. Zero expectation of resurrection for them. For them, it is an act of love and devotion to go to their dead Lord and to anoint his body with perfumes. This was probably not about preserving the body as you think about in terms of more modern forms of of preserving bodies of the dead. This is probably simply just an extravagant act of love, pouring perfumes, pouring oils over their Lord in devotion to him. A public display of affection Now, obviously, love is not an emotion. Love is an action. But this devotion, this act of devotion, is in itself very emotional. I mean, I read passages like the woman who's notorious in the village going up to Jesus and and washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair and I'm like Simon the Pharisee. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with this, Jesus. This is a little over the top. This is too much PDA. This is too much public display of affection for you. I, I'm not comfortable with it either. And perhaps you're not as well. I don't know. But lots and lots of emotions. We know little about these women. They obviously had money. They were spending lots of money a, 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 an extremely large amount of money to to anoint. Uh, We know a little bit about them, but not much. Mary Magdalene is from the town of Magdala, which is along the Galilean Sea. Scripture tells us that Jesus had delivered her from seven demons. I can't imagine meeting Mary pre-Jesus. But post-Jesus, she had become a person greatly devoted to her Lord. She was that extravagant testimony you sometimes hear 
about people being delivered from the very worst of circumstances. There was also a woman named Mary who was, there are a lot of Marys in the, a lot of Marys at Servants of Christ, also a lot of Marys in the Bible. Mary, the mother of Joseph and James. I don't, I'm probably like you. You probably thought, oh, they just misspelled that. That was Mary of Jesus and James. But no, it's Joseph and James. She was one of the people that probably was in the, in the community of Mark, the community that Mark is writing to that very first time he writes down this Easter account. Perhaps Joseph and James were known to people in the community. And then Salome, another woman, she's told to us in the Gospel of Luke that she's actually the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So again, proud mom. The disciples aren't there, but these women are there. Guys, why is it the women just seem to get it better, faster? They're more devoted than us. I don't know. I don't think it has to be that way. I pray it's not that way at Servants of Christ, but it's definitely that way oftentimes. They come with a very practical question. Who's going to remove the stone? Who's going to take the stone away? Again, zero expectation of resurrection. But that question is quickly dismissed because you see the stone, which Mark tells us was quite large, is gone. That's removed. And there, at the tomb, stone removed, sits a man, a young man. We think he's probably an angel. That's what the other gospel writers... Mark doesn't tell us he's an angel. He just says he's a young man in a white robe. I don't know, but, he, you know, so, but he, he's there. And, and, and they're, they're astonished and we're told alarmed is the word. Again, emotion. It's the only time in the Gospels that the word, the Greek for this alarmed ever appears. It means strong fear and agitation. Mental health counselors in the congregation. What would you do if somebody presented as having strong fear and agitation? You'd probably be calling for the sedative, right? You'd probably be prescribing something or hoping a doctor prescribes something to calm this person down. Strong fear and agitation. These women are alarmed. Their world has already been rocked once. They're suffering post-traumatic stress. Jesus is dead. And now they come to just devote themselves to Jesus and instead of finding the body they hoped to find, instead they got this young man in a white robe telling them, that Jesus is not there. The young man makes the glorious Easter proclamation. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. And when you peel back all the emotions of this Easter uh, of the scene in this Gospel of Mark, and you, all the emotions are rolling around, there at the center is this proclamation that all the Gospel writers make, that Jesus, who was dead, is now alive. I love the fact that the young man says, go tell the disciples and Peter 
that Jesus will meet them in Galilee, that he will go to Galilee and meet them just as he said. Jesus had just said in the Gospels a few chapters before that after he died, he would rise on the third day and that he would meet them in Galilee. Jesus, true to his word, now sends this angelic messenger to relay the message. The greatest possible news that anyone could have. The one you've devoted your life to, the one you've put all your hopes on, who you thought was dead, is not dead any longer. He's alive. And he's waiting for you in Galilee. You see, the proclamation of Jesus' rising to life on the third day brings hope to us. If God can conquer death, if Jesus can take death and hell on and all the works of the devil and yet in three days be raised from the dead, then there is hope for each of us in each of our circumstances, in all of the issues that trouble us, all the emotional issues that weigh us down and bring us to places of fear and alarm and emotion. Jesus Christ, who was dead, is now alive. And He has gone to Galilee where He will meet you. From zero hope to tons of hope. But not without emotion, as we know, right? This creates even more emotion in these women. I'm getting more and more uncomfortable with how emotional they're becoming. And, and so they begin to say, perhaps, that we don't have it recorded here. Could this be true? We aren't told. They don't say that. All we get is they went out trembling and in astonishment. Two things I don't normally put together, trembling and astonishment. Sometimes maybe, but not often. I'm either trembling in fear or I'm astonished with joy. I'm usually not trembling and in astonishment, and I'm definitely not comfortable with people who were related to me, who were both trembling and astonishment. I have a feeling that may come up in a couple of weeks, and so I'm trying to prepare myself by reading the gospel and hearing what the Lord has to say. And then it just ends. How weird and abrupt. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. More emotion. I love this. You guys know me. I, the ones that you that know me, you know I love this. I love the raw, authentic, real Mark gospel writing here. And it's interesting because scholars agree, almost without exception, except for a few quacks, that, that this is where the gospel ends, verse 8. And that 9 through verse 20 is simply later additions to the gospel to try to smooth over the roughness of this place. It's like we can't leave the, the women... They're the, they're the stalwarts. They're the, the backbone of the faith, right? So we can't leave them astonished and trembling and afraid and in fear and saying nothing to anyone. And so they tried to write some things that made it better. Well, then they got their act together and went on. And Mark doesn't 
give us that, I don't believe. I think it ends right here. And there are two ways of thinking about it. One is that um, some say that what is intended here is that the women were so astonished and trembling and afraid that they didn't say anything to anyone else except the disciples. In other words, they, they kept their mouth shut and they didn't go out saying, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. They simply went in fear and trembling to the disciples and delivered the message. That sort of makes sense. I mean, we're sitting in a room a very long time from this account, and we know what the women saw. So clearly they did tell someone, right? I mean, we're here. That makes sense. It also makes sense as I think about it because daily you and I pass people on the street at work and in the stores. We know that Jesus has risen from the dead, but we don't dare say anything to them for fear. For fear of what they'll think of us, for fear of what they'll think about our belief in this God who became man allowed himself to be killed and risen on the third day. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. But there's another thought with regards to why Mark ends this gospel so abruptly. And it's because Mark wants us to go to Galilee and find out for ourselves. Remember, he's writing at the very beginning of the faith. This is the oldest gospel. This gospel was written probably in the 60s, so less than 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so perhaps the gospel writer, Mark, wants the readers to find out for themselves, not to literally go to Galilee, although I've been there twice. It's well worth going. You will... Sense the presence of the Lord in that beautiful, beautiful place. But to go there in the sense of finding out for ourselves. And isn't that really what it all comes down to? I can stand and proclaim Christ crucified, raised from the dead, but ultimately, we each have to go there ourselves. Someone famously said, I believe in order that I might understand. I believe in order that I might understand. You see, this morning, I stand before you as one who has found out the truth in my own life that Jesus Christ is alive. And because he is alive, I can face even the emotions that would paralyze me, cause me to respond in anger, or just simply run away. You see, I've found hope because I've gone to Galilee. And many in this room have well, have gone to the Lord and found him to be true to his word. He is alive and he is waiting for us to enter in. 
to that relationship with him. Oh, Lord. You wait for us to find out for ourselves. Perhaps in the course of this last year, you have, you have you've believed, and yet, like the, the man in the Gospels, you have unbelief. And you've become enthralled with the circumstances of your life, and you've lost focus on the hope of the resurrection the hope that the Lord can meet you in the circumstances of your life. And that He will guide you to the place where there is life and life abundantly. I like that interpretation of the abrupt end for Mark. I love it. Because I do think we have to go there ourselves. Now, we, can't, we, we do get to help each other. That's why we meet here. That's why we have little Easter's every week of the year because we do need the body to encourage us and to give us hope and to remind us of the greatness of our God who died and rose again. You know, as I think about it, the times when I felt those emotions of both trembling and astonishment are usually before I begin something new. Before I began a new job or before I had a new baby or before I got married or whatever. It's trembling astonishment. It's fear and amazement. Or when I've gone on long trips, maybe to Africa or the Middle East or Central America, trembling astonishment. Friends, this morning we proclaim the greatest news ever told, that Christ, who was crucified, because he was crucified, can offer us forgiveness of our sins. Freedom from our past. Hope for a new tomorrow. Because not only was he crucified, but raised on the third day. And lives and waits for you in Galilee. Hallelujah, Christ is risen.